With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the Joel Glad Show, I tell you if Colorado can pull the upset against USC, Texas against Kansas, is there going to be another upset in Austin and Notre Dame on the road after that emotional loss? All of that and more coming straight up. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. Believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Hey, hey, welcome into the Joel Class Show. I am Joel Glad. This show is presented by Hampton, by Hilton. Lots to get into today. Remember, subscribe to the show, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a review, rate, review, all that different stuff. That always helps us out. Um, and you can follow us on social media. Wherever you like to social media, you can find the Joel Klatt Show. Just find us at Joel Klatt Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Klatt. You can follow me on Instagram at Joel underscore Klatt. Okay, that's all your follows and instructions and blah, 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 because let's get into some games. Let's have at it. Remember last week, it was so great. And usually there's a little bit of a letdown, but I don't think we're going to have that this week in college football because we've got some really intriguing matchups, which I want to go through here today as we break down some of these games on Saturday. I'm going to start with the game that I'm going to be at. I'm headed back home um, to Colorado as big noon kickoff and big noon Saturday. Gus, Jenny, and I will be in Boulder and Folsom Field as Colorado welcomes in USC. USC rolling along, even though they didn't play great last weekend, let's face it, against Arizona State. Obviously, they're great offensively. But let's take a look at this matchup. And Again, Colorado for the third time this year is going to be a three-touchdown underdog. Now, this time at home, they were a three-touchdown underdog. TCU won the game. They were a three-touchdown underdog to Oregon and got absolutely run last week in Eugene. I can't wait to see how this team responds. We're going to see a bit of the character of this team revealed this week when we see how they react to basically being embarrassed last week by a really good Oregon team. And man, the more I watch that game, the more I prepare for this one and watch that game on film, the more I'm impressed with Oregon. That team knew they were going to beat Colorado. They knew they were better than Colorado. And they, they went out there and proved it. And now you get this USC team coming to town. And as you know, like I, I like to talk about styles and where teams are, are strong or weak, how that matches up against the opponent. And in this one, it's, it's so fascinating because there are some weaknesses for USC. That tends to be where Colorado is strong. 
there are some weaknesses, surely, for Colorado. By the way, that is where USC is strong. So let's go through it. First and foremost, you got to know that USC is absolutely rolling on the offensive side. This is the I, I, th this is the best offense in college football, led by Caleb Williams. I, I know that, like, I love Washington. Those two offenses, I think, are the best in college football. USC is just a bit more balanced. And so I get the sense that Lincoln Riley's bunch is probably better suited to play at that high level more consistently week over week because they're not m totally reliant on the passing game like Washington can be from time to time. USC is the nation's number one scoring offense, 55 points to game come rolling into Boulder. And this is a Colorado team that has given up at least 35 points in three of their last four games. So this clearly, clearly is in the wheelhouse for the Trojans. Colorado is going to be without their best defender, Travis Hunter. That, that is a problem. Colorado's inability to get pressure on Bo Nix, their inability to cover well in the secondary led to a lot of open receivers and in particularly the ability for Oregon to run the ball. Oregon ran the ball so well against Colorado. And that's, that's something that I didn't think Colorado was going to be great with this year. You know, they were good enough against Nebraska and TCU not particularly against Colorado State, but still won the game. And now you get a team that is running it as well as anybody. See, this is what I've always loved about Lincoln Riley's offenses is that, yes, there's the flash of the passing game. And obviously he has the background when he cut his teeth as an air raid coach under Mike Leach, you know, all the way back to his Texas Tech days. But the difference is, is that this guy really leaned into, and I think this is the Bob Stoops influence, by the way, he leaned into having a dominant run game and what that would mean for your team. This is a dominant run game. This is a run game that right now is second in the country in yards per carry at just under seven yards per carry. So this offense is every bit the equal and maybe even superior to any offense that Lincoln Riley had at Oklahoma. Didn't matter if it was the Kyler Murray offense or the Jalen Hurts offense or the Baker Mayfield offense. This offense is as good or better than any he had in Norman. He probably has a better quarterback. And that's saying something because two of those guys won a Heisman Trophy, <laughs> right? I mean, like Caleb's a generational talent. He can control the game from the pocket. He can get loose. His game is... It's the standard right now in college football. It's hard to explain how good this guy actually is. What I love about the way he plays is that he can beat you in the pocket, controlling the game with his mind and his timing. He can really beat you once he leaves the pocket, and that's when he becomes even more dangerous. So he's an above the X's and O's player, both inside and outside of the pocket. And once he leaves, that's when his superpower arrives, which is ability to throw with velocity and accuracy on the run. The guy is the best quarterback I've seen in college football in a long, long time. He does it all. He does it all. USC, by the way, on the defensive side, we haven't talked about this, but let's quickly talk about the defensive side for USC. Now, there are some, some concerns. If you watch the Arizona State game, there are some concerns. Their tackling for me is always something that we have to at least be aware of. The number of times against Arizona State, 
where there was contact four and five yards in front of the first down marker, and yet Arizona State still got the first down. See, one, two, if you're watching with us on YouTube, four contacts before the first down. The lack of tackling is a concern. You know, this one, he gets contacted at the 45 and then again at the 35 and continues to run for a touchdown. Like, that's exactly where Colorado could hurt them. This is why Colorado had success offensively against TCU, is their ability to make TCU miss in space. So if I'm a Trojan fan, that's my one concern for this week, for this team specifically, is the fact that Colorado will get the ball to players in space quickly, or at least they should, and then it becomes about tackling. And the tackling, as you know, I've been very critical of, and rightly so, and rightly so. Now, having said that, this defense is different than a year ago. How are they different? They provide and, and present so much pressure on the quarterback. And I think that the difference is, is that it's, it's not all just with an, a, an aggressive, go-for-broke style schematically. It's actually just they're down three or four getting after it. In fact, in fact, did you know USC is number one in the country on pressure rate on non-blitz plays? Okay, so did you follow that? Number one in the country in pressure rate, 48% of the time they can get pressure when they're not blitzing. That does not inspire a lot of confidence for Colorado. Why? Because Shador Sanders has been sacked 22 times. That's the most in the country. Think about what we just saw against Oregon. Constant pressure in the face of Shador Sanders. He had no time to get the ball down the field. This is one of the things that was a stark difference from the game against TCU or even against Nebraska or even against Colorado State late. The amount of pressure that Oregon was able to present on Shador Sanders, and they did it both with just a four-man rush as well as a blitz. Their running backs, Colorado's, did not do a good job in protection, and Sanders had no chance a lot of the time. And this is a major concern for Colorado because USC can do this. They can present that pressure. They don't have to blitz in order to do it. Guys like Bear Alexander, I, I'm big believers in. So what does Colorado have to do? Well, in order to stay close in this game, in order to have a, a chance with Shudor, who I think is as clutch as anybody in college football, in order to be close late, what they're going to have to do is have a great game plan. And that's where Sean Lewis comes into uh, the, the, the conversation. Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator, the game plan has got to be similar to TCU. And the execution has to be similar to TCU, which means get the ball out quickly. Allow these players that we feel very confident in, if we're Colorado fans, the Dylan Edwards of the world and the Jimmy Horns of the world, the Xavier Weavers of the world, get them the ball quickly in space so that you can attack what we feel like is the weakness for USC's defense, which is their tackling in space out of the secondary. That's got to be the plan. Now, they tried that a little bit early against Oregon. Here's the problem. Shador was not great early in that game, in particular in the first quarter. Okay, he, On a third down, he threw it at the feet of his wide receiver when they had a one-on-one -on -one in space. On the second down, first second down of the game, he throws, throws a fade route out of bounds, doesn't give Xavier Weaver a chance to bring it down, even though Weaver won on the play. He's got to anticipate windows and stand in there and understand that he's probably going to get hit, and he's still got to anticipate windows over the middle. Sanders has to play amazing for Colorado to be close, okay? They're a three-touchdown underdog for a reason. USC is a really, really good team. One little caveat, Alton McCaskill, 
Came back in the fourth quarter against Oregon. I'm very interested to see how much time or run he gets for Colorado in this game against USC. All right, let's move on. All right, Kansas at Texas. So Kansas jumps into the top 25. This is a good football team, by the way. And if you've listened to me for any amount of time, you're going to know that I've been high on Lance Leipold. I like this Kansas team, okay? I am a fan of Jalen Daniels. When he's on the field, this is a good football team, all right? Defensively, I think that they're better than people realize, even though last year they did not do a good job defensively against this Texas team, but that was primarily because Texas had Mr. Everything running back Bijan Robinson. So when we look at this game, what do we think of? Well, for me, I think to myself immediately, hey, is this going to be a Texas team that plays to their level of competition or plays to their standard? And last week against Baylor, they played to their standard. I believe that they're going to start to do this more often this year. And that's because where they're strong this year is not in rhythm, timing, athleticism, and skill, although they have those things. They're actually built and strong at the line of scrimmage. So it's more about effort and strength and discipline up front. They're good and consistent on defense. That's going to allow them to play more consistently on a week-in and week-out basis. We saw that last week against Baylor. Um, they're stout at the line of scrimmage and that's why they're different. Go back and listen to the, the Wednesday podcast. And I talked all about Texas. I talked all about their ability to be, be consistent and why they're an above the line team is not just because of their skill, even though they do have that it's because they're actually built more soundly at the line of scrimmage. It's a team that reminds me a lot more of the 04 and 05 Texas Longhorns than any of the Longhorn teams since. Now, they don't have Vince Young, who was absolutely ridiculous, but that's a good football team in Texas, and I believe that they're going to be more consistent. Now, on the Kansas side, Jalen Daniels, he missed the opener, but he's played well in the three games since. All right, they can run it a little bit. This is a team that defensively last week against BYU played really well, in particular against the run game. BYU only had nine yards on 22 carries. This would be an upset. There's no doubt. Texas is favored by 16 and a half, and they should be. They should be. However, this Kansas team has something to them. I'm going to be watching early in the game for how Kansas reacts against the run. Can they stand up? Can they hold that line of scrimmage with any consistency against a run game that I really believe in. All right, that run game for Texas can get after it. It got after them last year. They ran for over 400 yards against the Jayhawks in last year's game. Bijan went for over 240 yards in that game. And so that's where the game is won and lost for me. Jalen Daniels doesn't get a chance unless the defense can prevent Texas from just owning the line of scrimmage. Because as soon as Texas owns the line of scrimmage, then it's over. Okay, then they're just going to bludgeon Kansas the rest of the day. And that opens up the play action pass that opens up that speed and skill. And that's when Texas is at their best. Um, that 16 and a half is a big number, but I'm, I'm starting to believe I'm starting to believe in the Longhorns, folks. I think the Longhorns may pull that one off at home. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Hey, it's my favorite time of year. It's football season. And as you know, I take it seriously, and I know you do too. So when I'm traveling on the road to watch my favorite teams, I can't risk calling the wrong play with where I stay. Wherever I go, I know that I can count on Hampton by Hilton. I can depend on their comfortable rooms, warm, friendly service. And this is the key, their hot breakfast is a game changer. Whether you're, whether you're cheering on your team from the stands or never leaving the tailgate, Hampton by Hilton will always give you that win. Love Hampton by Hilton. I very much appreciate them and love staying in their hotels. I hate having to order breakfast and it taking 30 minutes and costing $60. That's why I stay at Hampton by Hilton because the rooms are awesome. I can go down to the gym. Then I can get my cup of coffee and eat a fresh breakfast and it's hot and it's delicious and I love it. And I don't have to pay $60 for it. Uh, all right. Michigan at Nebraska. Remember the last time Michigan was at Nebraska? That was a great game. That was a great game. And in, in a lot of ways, Nebraska should have won that game. Michigan escaped Lincoln with a win the last time they were there. This is a very different scenario. I feel more confident in this Michigan team than I did in that Mich Michigan team. I feel less confident in this Nebraska than I did that Nebraska. So here comes the number two team in the country rolling into Lincoln, and they're going to be 17 and a half point favorites. This Michigan team, they're like a boa constrictor. A boa constrictor moves slowly and confidently, knowing that once it gets you in its grasp, it's over. It's over. It's just a matter of time. It will kill you, and it will eat you. Period. And that's kind of how Michigan plays. Think about it. Last week against Rutgers, Rutgers scored, shoot, it felt like, I mean, it was the opening possession. They get that little, you know, slant pass, um, missed tackle, touchdown. And you're like, ooh, maybe Rutgers has something. Rutgers has played Michigan decent in, in a few occasions over the last four or five years. Maybe they've got something. Maybe Michigan's going to sleepwalk. And then it's not like dominant over the next quarter and a half, even two quarters. But Michigan never panics. Why? Because they're going to eventually win. Because they're slowly moving in and squeezing the life out of the opponent. That's what they do. They are so confident in their style. that They are confident in their defense. They're confident in their offensive line. Those two areas generally don't have bad days. And this is kind of the point that I've been talking about with Texas. You know, when you're built just on skill and you're built just on the ability to score a lot of points, you are banking on execution, detail, timing, and rhythm. Those things can have a bad day. They just can. But when you're built on strength, toughness, effort, those things generally don't have a bad day. That's why great defenses very rarely get beat by bad teams. Think about this. This is why Michigan has been so consistent over the last couple of years. They can run it. They can defend. Right now, they are the number one defense in the country, scoring defense-wise, giving up 5.8 points per game have not allowed more than seven points. They can run it. 
and know that their run game style and the physical nature of that style will eventually pay dividends. It's a body blow style. That pick six from Mike Sainer still, by the way, last week, that was epic. This is a guy that I really love. This is why Alabama and Georgia never lose to bad teams. Why? Because they're built for the line of scrimmage and on defense. Now, while their offenses can go above and beyond and can score, now maybe not Bama this year, but you know what I'm saying. Like we've saw, we saw Georgia go up there. Th this is why those teams are so consistent. This is why Michigan is so consistent. So when you look at Nebraska, Nebraska doesn't have much of a chance in this game because Generally speaking, Michigan does not lose to average or bad football teams. You've got to have a great team. You've got to have an ability to really threaten them from, from your offensive standpoint. You've got to have the ability to make them panic a little bit. And once they panic like TCU did last year, then they start getting out of character. And once they break out of their mold and their blueprint, that's when turnovers arise, and then that's when you can possibly sting them and get them. Now, Nebraska has won their last two games. They did make a quarterback change. They went with Henrik Harburg at quarterback, and he's been a real run threat for them. Now, they don't throw the ball very well, but Harburg went for 109 in his first game as a runner, his 157 last week on only 19 carries. And here's the key part is that Jeff Sims early in the season against both Minnesota and Colorado was a turnover machine. Harburg has not been a turnover machine. He's only turned it over one time in those two starts. So while they don't throw the ball very well, they can run it. They need to shorten the game. They need to keep Michigan's offense off the field, and they need to do everything that they can to shorten this game and make Michigan get out of their blueprint. Make them panic a little bit. Make them do something offensively that they don't want to do. Maybe they can get a turnover, and at that point, maybe they can get an upset, earn an upset. They do have a good run defense. This is going to be Michigan's tough to, toughest test by far. So far in this season, they're going on the road for the first time. They're facing a run defense that's second in the country, allowing just 46 yards per game on 1.8 yards per carry. So it might not just be easy sledding for Michigan, but remember, Michigan does not panic. They generally stay in their blueprint, and they generally do not have a bad day. It's a big number, though, 17 and a half. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if Nebraska was closer than that 17 and a half. I don't think they're going to win, but it wouldn't shock me if Nebraska was clo closer. In fact, I do. I think I think I saw this and I might correct me if I'm wrong, by the way. I believe Michigan is 0-3 and 1 against the spread. Part of that is blueprint. Part of that is new clock rules, right? This is not a team that cares to beat you by like, well, we got to cover. Our fan base wants us to cover. No, no, no. The fan base of Michigan just wants you to win. That's all they want. And then they want you to beat, beat Ohio State. That's what they want. All right, let's move on. Utah at Oregon State. Another great matchup in the Pac-12. This is just such a good conference. Oregon State lost last week, and now they're going to be three-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Utah is interesting because Utah is not anywhere near their potential, and yet they're, they're out there winning games. This will be their toughest test to date. This is a tougher test than Florida. This is a tougher test than, than UCLA. Remember, both of those games were at home. Salt Lake is an incredible home field advantage for the Utes. They're really good at home. Not that they're not good on the road. It's just going to be more difficult. And this is a team in Oregon State that will present some problems. They can also play physical. They can run the football. Now, 
Losing last week doesn't help, but I will tell you, the effort that Utah gave in the win against UCLA and the emotion that they showed after the game, there could be a bit of a letdown here. I, this is one of those games that I'm looking at that I think all of us in our minds are like, oh man, yeah, Utah should win. Oregon State lost last week. Oregon State generally does not lose by more than three. In fact, both of their losses last year, three points. I believe it was Oregon and Washington. Uh, their loss this year now to a very good Washington State team with a good quarterback ended up being three points. Like it's a possession game. And at that point, you've got to trust Nate Johnson if Rising doesn't play. And that brings up the biggest question of the day. Is Cam Rising back? It's like every single week, we are wondering if Cam Rising is back for Utah. He's been splitting reps with Nate Johnson. They desperately need him to start playing because I don't think Utah can go through a Pac-12 slate with this amount of quality teams without Rising. They need him to raise the ceiling of that team. They have... Brant Keithy hasn't played yet. They've been banged up on the offensive and defensive line. Um, uh, Jaquindon Johnson, he's been dealing with nagging ankle injury. Like, they're not healthy. They squeaked by UCLA based on a great defensive game plan and effort. And I just, like, this one could get a little bit dicey. If Rising doesn't play, I think Oregon State wins. I don't know if he's playing or not. If Rising, again, I'm going to say, if Rising doesn't play, I think Oregon State wins this game at home. If Rising plays, now it's more of a coin flip. But there's no way, there's no way that Utah, at least in my estimation, blows them out. And that's because of the history of what Oregon State has been over the last two years. Jonathan Smith has something. They lose last week. No one's expecting them to win. They go back home. This is, this is a prime example of a team that's going to get right. And if Utah is feeling themselves a little bit, if they're a little bit overconfident after beating UCLA in the fashion that they did, and if they don't have their quarterback, then Oregon State's going to win. Oregon State can run it really well, man. Last week, 242 on the ground, 6.2 a carry. DJU's got to play better. He played well in the week one. We all thought, oh, look at that. You know, he's, he's back. He's better. And he hasn't quite been as good since, completing only 51% of his passes. But, but again, Oregon State will be there. They will be there in the end. And if Rising doesn't play, the Beavers are going to win that game. Notre Dame at Duke. This is another scary one. I tell you what, for the Irish, Notre Dame has won 29 straight regular season games against the ACC. I think this one is going to really test them because Duke is really good. Okay. Um, Mike Elko has done a wonderful job. Remember Elko coached at Notre Dame just a few years ago as a defensive coordinator. And now he's doing wonderful things with Duke. He's built them as a, as a defensive team. Um, he's, he took a three win team last year, turns them into a nine win team. Now they're ranked in the top 20 and they've got a really good quarterback. So they play really good on the defensive side. Remember they held Clemson to seven points. They've got a strong quarterback in Riley Leonard, dual threat, averaging 60 on the ground, has four rushing touchdowns. This, You know how good they are at home based on what they did to Clemson in the opening week. And Notre Dame's got to come off of that emotional night in which they feel like they gave the game away. Marcus Freeman having to answer questions about the 10 men on the field, and rightly so. Like, this is something, this is going to hang over Marcus Freeman's head for a long, long time. A long, long time. And it's a tough thing for him. Like, he had no ability to go cut his teeth 
on any other stage. It's like his first head coaching opportunity is Notre Dame. <laughs> that's, that's tough. This is why it was a bit of an out, outside of the box hire and an emotional hire. They went with a guy that was there that they felt like the team was going to gravitate towards. And he may have a higher ceiling than Brian Kelly. That, that might absolutely be the case. And I love Marcus Freeman and he's recruiting at a really high level. And I like that team and I like their quarterback. But here's the, the truth of the matter is, Notre Dame fans, you're going to have to live with some growing pains from a coach that is doing this for the first time. You know, think about this. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, he's having this amazing season. He got to coach at Sioux Falls for a few years as the head coach. Do you think he ever took a snap with 10 men on the field? Here's the point. We don't know. <laughs> That's the point. We don't know. You know, so Marcus Freeman is in a very similar boat to a guy like Ryan Day. They're trying to be learn how to be head coaches for the first time in the pressure cooker, which is really remarkable. So Notre Dame now goes on the road, and this is going to challenge the character and integrity of this Irish team because they're going to have to come back and play really well, play at a really high level, get themselves emotionally ready to play after that loss to Ohio State. That's, that was a brutal loss. This defense for Duke is very strong. I do believe in Notre Dame's offensive line. I do believe in their quarterback. And that's the, that's the entity that they're going to have to lean on to get them out of whatever could be a hangover from last week. Lean on your veteran quarterback. This is his 52nd start. Why not lean on the veteran quarterback? Let him go a little bit early. Get to the run game. Give estimate the carries in particular in short yardage. Lots of mistakes from a coaching standpoint. One of them, estimate, should touch the ball on fourth down and short. Okay, These quarterback sneaks weren't working. The little rollout didn't work. So Notre Dame has some answers. At Duke, I think this is, this is an interesting game. Favored by five and a half. I don't know about that. I don't know about that number. Just going to throw that out there. Last one, LSU at Old Miss. Um, do we really know how good LSU is? Honest question. Do we really? Is LSU the fly in the ointment? right now remember this is a team that last year had the amazing win against Bama but then it's like three points against Arkansas blown out against Georgia A&M and Tennessee it's like the anomaly was Bama they play for the SEC championship game and we just assumed that they had the traits of those teams that generally win the West. But they, did, they really didn't. Now you come into this season and we heaped, me, me included, by the way, my hand is up. I'm, I'm leading this pack. So when I say we, I mean I. I expected them to be something that I don't think they were. I expected them, and, and I put the traits on them, that, that candidly they don't have. And now we see them get 31 put on them unanswered against Florida State, play a lackluster game at home against Arkansas. And it's like, they're still ranked 13th. Are they 13th? I, I don't know. We're propping up Florida State as if that was some 
unbelievable win, I don't know if LSU is any good. I really don't. By the way, same can be said for Ole Miss. You have the most vulnerable Alabama team since Nick Saban's first year in Tuscaloosa. You see their quarterback struggle to the extent that he did in that first half, including that interception, and they couldn't do anything about it. And by the end, it's just like you're getting beat again. So at some point, as great as Lane Kiffin is, and I think he's really good, and that team is talented, and his social media is incredible, but at some point, it's like you got to do something. This west side of the SEC, I don't think is very strong this year. These two teams are ranked way over where they should be ranked if you really evaluate them. This is a ranked matchup in name only, okay? LSU and Ole Miss. And, and here's the, it just perpetuates on itself. So now the winner of this game is like, well, it's a ranked win. Is it? And then the loser is like, well, it was a ranked loss. Is it? I'm not sure. That LSU ranking of five in the preseason, I was leading the pack. I, I just don't, I don't love it. Their defense is allowing 30 points per game against their three power five opponents. Is it really that good? Probably not. The numbers suggest that it's not. I think Ole Miss probably wins this game. LSU is favored. I think Ole Miss probably wins this game. But last week's performance didn't inspire much confidence in them either. They got to get their running back going. Quinshawn Junkins. He just hasn't been right. He's been dealing with that midsection injury. Yet to go over 60 yards in any game this year. They've got to get him going. And if they can, then they'll win the game. Because guess what? LSU is, is not that great. And, and the more that people understand that, the more that they're going to start to realize what I'm talking about when I talk about Florida State and the caution lights on the dashboard for Florida State. Everyone keeps on to be like, is Florida State the number one team in the country? No. The answer is no. Florida State is very good. They've got a great path to the playoff, and they could compete for and possibly win a national championship. However, that's a Florida State team that is being propped up by what we thought this LSU team was, which they are not. So just something to watch out for as we move along the rest of the season. Okay, here we go. Remember now, we've got Rose Bowl hat giveaway next week. That's coming up next Wednesday. And remember what you have to do in order to be one of the five that receives wins a Rose Bowl hat. You've got to subscribe to this show both on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Then wherever you get your podcasts, you have to leave us a review. Now, just saying probably helps if it's a positive review. That's, I'm just saying. Like, if you if you go give this show a one-star review, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, like, you're probably not going to win the lottery. Is it rigged? Yep, against one-star reviews. So that's all I'm going to say. I think you can appreciate that. Probably helps if, if, if it's positive. Having said that, leave as honest a review as you want outside of one stars and make sure to subscribe YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. We will then give away five hats next Wednesday. And I cannot wait for that. Remember um, to follow us on social media, wherever you like to social media at Joel Klatt show, and then always throw in some mailbag questions because periodically we get to the mailbag, the Joel Klatt show mailbag at gmail.com life advice, college football questions, whatever you want to get to. Should be a great week. And remember, Gus, Jenny, and I will be in Boulder, Colorado, back to Folsom Field as Colorado takes on USC this Saturday. Enjoy your week of college football, everybody.